BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Mike. Jack. Is Camila Cabello a racist? Now, you know, that's an interesting question. Welcome to episode 134 of the Highly Relevant Podcast. For those of you who are first-time listeners, welcome. This is a Latinx pop culture show, and on today's episode, I'm discussing the Camila Cabello racial debacle with culture critic Mike Sargent over some insensitive comments Cabello said seven years ago, which just surfaced online this week. We'll tell you what she said, what the general reaction has been, and what does this mean for her career moving on forward in 2020 and beyond. Then, Mike and I give you our first reaction of Star Wars Rise of the Skywalker from inside the first New York press screening of the film. Will it satisfy fans? And will it satisfy the critics? But before we talk Star Wars... All right, so for those of you that don't know, this week, um, Mike and I had seen Star Wars earlier in the week, and now later in the week, news came out that Camila Cabello um, had said some insensitive words towards blacks and even Asians and Latinos, Mexicans in particular, um, when she was about 15 years old, about seven years ago, she's 22 now, on Tumblr, and... uh, there's a Twitter account that had resurfaced all these comments and decided to kind of just stream them on Twitter and it got about 70,000 retweets. But you know how it is. It's not a million, but the press, the entertainment press took a hold of it and that's all the legitimacy that those things needed. Um, You could go ahead, check it out, read it. I, in, in in my particular opinion, this reminds me of the Gina Rodriguez crises that uh, she went through recently <clears throat> with uh, African-American absolutely, backlash. Absolutely. So she had said essentially, not necessarily, okay, so let's talk about the two things that happened here. Number one, she had used the N-word several times to respond to a few things uh, that, uh, that that fans had asked her or, or or friends had asked her. Then she was hacked through a phone where some of her responser, responses used the N-word as well. Then there's the whole retweets or retumble tweets. <clears throat> I'm not sure how you would say that, but she retumbled several images that were pretty bad. For example, I think the worst one of them all that Camila did she retweeted a 
two women basketball players, a white one who was holding a basketball um, on top, and a black woman who was guarding her down low, looking up at the ball. Somebody decided to take the basketball and replace it with a bucket of KFC chicken. So you see the black woman looking at the KFC chicken bucket while the white woman just holds it, and she retweeted this. So it's things like that that, yeah, you didn't say anything, but you obviously support that laughter. And I think that when it comes down to it, you can't excuse her for what she did. Now, the question is, should she be punished? Um, She apologized, but was the apology good enough? Will this ruin her career? Um, Does she understand what she did? Do you excuse her for being a young um, 15-year-old kind of working her way through the world? What do you think? I think, first of all, America is inherently racist. I think the mask has been lifted. I think at this point in time, we know that what it is to be American, you can say it's apple pie, it's baseball, it's this, it's that, hamburgers, frankfurters, it's also racism. As a black person, I have experienced racism from every single race that's come to this country. As a matter of fact, okay, you know, it's been comedians talk about it. You go into the Korean deli, they watch you like a hawk. I mean, I've gotten, when yellow cabs ruled Manhattan, I I would often not get picked up. And I never forgot a story that I was dressed in a suit. I'm trying to get to a meeting somewhere. And this is 20 years ago or so. And and cab after cab is passing me by, passing me by. And, you know, I'm, I'm pissed, you know. And so finally a cab stops. He gets me and I get in. And I was huffed and I kind of said, so, so what made you pick me up? And I expressed my frustration to him. And he says to me, now he was, you know, he was a Sufi. He was from, you know, uh, the Middle East. And he says, well, you know, before he came to this country, he said, when he watches TV, from what he can see, all the crimes are committed by black people. (laughs) So, so what I'm saying is. And Latinos, by the way. Well, and Latinos too. I'm sure that he may not pick up Latinos any more than he picks up blacks. But the point I'm making is, okay. Uh, it's not like white Americans are going to treat an Arab any better than they would treat a black person. Okay. Maybe even worse today. Okay. Problem is this. One of the things that people do in this culture is embrace this part of the culture that, that is derogatory. It's demeaning towards women. It's demeaning towards, uh, especially black people. Now, I think black people have a very specific relationship with Latinos. And you've talked about it here. On the one hand, you say black people may, uh, uh, Latinos see blacks as cool. You know, everybody does. You know, our language, our music, our style, uh, for many, many years in this country, even though we may not have a direct culture, the black subculture has been very dominant. Mm -hmm, But mm -hmm. but when you've talked about, especially when we have conversations about film and and not only with you and with other Latinos and Latino filmmakers that I that I know that I won't name names right now, you know, the feeling is, well, look what the black folks have done. Why can't we do that? Look what they've done. Right. Look how far they've come. Look, they've had an Obama. We can't even get, uh, you know, uh, a, a, a VP Latino, or a speaker of a the VP, house. In there. <laughs> the speaker of the house, exactly. So there is, and this is one of the tenets of prejudice and oppression. 
Okay. You'll see it with women against women. You'll see it with black against black. You'll see it with Latino against Latino. And that is a, you know, you look down on those who are like you or, or more importantly, you want to push yourself up by putting down somebody who's beneath you. Mm -hmm. So if you're a, 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 whatever it is you are, Arab, Latino, Chinese, whatever, you'd rather have somebody beneath you. And I think that that is something that I was not completely aware of, uh, uh, okay, but I've become increasingly aware of with the Gina Rodriguez story that there's this inherent underlying resentment and, and desire to have somebody else that they can put down too. And I think that that, you know, you say she was young. Okay, she's a, she's a young girl living. This is not like she was growing up in the 60s or the 50s. This is the, she, she's, what is she, 26? She's 22 now. She's 22. She's still All right, young, so yeah. She's super young. This is the 21st century. And if she's still, as a, a Latina, if she finds it funny, if she finds it amusing, if she thinks it's okay in this live out loud world to be loud and verbal about putting down and disrespecting black people, that tells you something about our culture. It tells you something about American culture, tells you something about Latino culture, and it tells you something about just how deeply ingrained racism is yeah. a part of what it is to be American. That's the key thing. I think that that I think being ingrained into that racism is something that a lot of people have been brought up through unconsciously, subconsciously, where you don't even Absolutely. notice you're you're being racist at moments, well, right? Well, you let's put it this way. It, I, I would say it's not that you don't notice. No, but I'd, I, I'd Mike, like to slavery. Hold on, Mike. You know, I, I think that a lot of kids sometimes don't even know that they're saying words or, or using context that, that might be racist because they think it's street language. And if everybody's uh, saying I, it, then why can't you? I see. I disagree with the first part of what you said. I only agree with the last part. I think that they know it's racist. They know it's sexist. This is the same thing with guy, young guys do. It's not like a young guy that calls a, a, a girl, whether he's black or Tina, a hoe, a bitch. It's not like they don't know that their mother's a woman or their sister's a woman. They know. They know they're being sexist. But you know what? Everybody else does it. It's accepted. But, Mike, but what happens when you're, you know, 13, 14 years old, junior high school, and all you listen to is hip hop, gangster rap, and these videos, these songs, these lyrics diminish women. Uh, they say the N-word constantly back and forth. Then you walk out into the hallways of the school and everyone's going, yo, what's up, my nigga? And then you're just a kid listening and echoing everything that everyone is saying. <clears throat> and it doesn't seem like no one's calling anybody out. There's no accountability. Um, there's no police of language that says, hey, you're not supposed to do that. Here's a history book. Read it. None of that stuff is going on. So I think that a lot of these people go through the process of being woke a lot later in life. Now, I am not defending Camila Cabello at all. I thought that those comments were insensitive. And yeah, I do think that they were, for the most part, racist. But <clears throat> I think there's something you left out incomplete when you said that America is racist. I'm going to just add on a little bit more to that. I think the world is racist. And they're racist towards minorities intertwined with classism as well. Now, let me tell you a little bit about Camila Cabello is Cuban. 
in the Latino market, you might in the Latino market, you might not know this, but Cubans unfortunately have a stigma that they are the most racist of all the Latinos. She happens to be Cuban. I don't know how much of her Cuban heritage, what she heard in her household, what she spoke to with her friends when she was growing up, but she felt comfortable and normal to be able to say the N-word at will when she was 15 years old. And I think that the question should be more along the lines, at what age should you know about racism? Well, okay. I want to respond. You said a bunch of stuff there, and I want to unpack it just a little bit. One, uh, uh, I, I would say not so much that the world is racist. I think that the world and human beings are biased. Everybody's got bias. Everybody's got prejudice, depending on how you were brought up. And I agree. Within Latino culture, there are definitely certain cultures that hate other cultures. You know, it's not like Dominicans and Puerto Ricans are in love with each other. But at the same time, I think that, you know, it does come down to how you were raised. Okay, I don't excuse, you know, people calling each other nigga in the street or, hey, yo, yo, my nigga. That is very different than having some, you know, bucket of chicken uh, as, as, as Absolutely. you know, and that's funny. So that, that, those are two completely different things. And so, yes, do we have a culture that is filled with bias and classism and, and, and do many, many people just embrace that, especially young people, but they just embrace it without ever thinking and having no knowledge of context, like you said, history, yes. But I do think that, you know, what age should, the age you realize that people are different, the people in your family should be teaching you to respect each other. But what happens if your family is racist themselves? And by the way, it's not like they celebrate it, but it's something kind of like they just know it. Listen, what happens is you, you, you know, if you have a father like Donald Trump, you become Donald Trump. <laughs> right. That, yeah. <laughs> so, and at some point, but, how much of it should you personally, individually be accountable at the age of 15? And again, I'm not excusing it, but I am sort of uh, delving a little deeper because when I grew up and I and I said this to you on the Gina Rodriguez podcast back in October, it's you don't walk around with a history book on language and what you can't say and what you can't say and why that is racist and why this is prejudice. A lot of kids, especially in their teenage years, are echoing a lot of what is being said on the street, of what their friends are saying at school, at what they're listening to in music videos that usually happens to be hip-hop. Yeah, but but I gotta say... Okay, it doesn't matter what you hear out on the street. What are you hearing at home? You can't tell me that, not to say that you can't have a great parent and turn out to be a piece of shit, but I'd still come back to how are you raised? You know, how are you raised in the home? What kind of values did your parents teach you? Period. Right, but but, but Period. wouldn't you, I mean, I know you're a father of a daughter. Wouldn't you say that there's two children that you have in the same child? One that plays nice nice at home is like the perfect child at home and as soon as their friends call them out to go hang out they become completely different people like to the point that you don't even recognize them where in the street the way they dress the way they talk some of them might smoke a cigarette you don't even know about it so how much do parents actually know their kids 
Ah, you know, that's a much longer conversation for another podcast. But here's what I will say on that. The only thing I'll touch upon is, you know, you mentioned something else earlier that I think is very accurate. You know, you said the world is racist. I say the world is biased. But again, like what I was talking about with that cab driver, you know, people have these impressions or what are they think are acceptable references. Correct. Correct. Okay. You had an experience, you know, I'll tell you my experience. And then if it's okay with you, I'll mention the experience you had, you know, you talked about my, my daughter, my, well, my daughter is half Ecuadorian. Oh, I did not know that Mike. Yeah. And on the Ecuadorian side, the parents never approved of me with their daughter. All right. Now are Ecuadorians racist. Uh, well, clearly, but the point I'm making, <laughs> but they're racist. They're racist against black people. They're people who've come to this country and wouldn't get treated any better, but still are racist against black people, which is what I was talking about before. Now, you mentioned something going to a whole other country, Marrakesh, mm-hmm. and and them thinking you're Arab. And when they find out you're not and you say, no, I'm Colombian, Colombian, they immediately think that. They, they they say something that is clearly derogatory and racist towards you, thinking that that's how to communicate. Yeah, what, what uh, Mike is trying to say is I, I was in Marrakesh. Uh, I went to a pharmacy. person asked me, you know, what part of uh, the Middle East I was from. I said, I'm not. I'm Colombian. And that person immediately laughed, cackled, and said, oh, cocaine, cocaine. And I go, why are you saying that? And he goes, narcos. I watch narcos on Netflix. And he thought that that, it was fun because it's on TV, then it's acceptable. And then I went Absolute. to a restaurant and a, the waiter started having a laugh with me and uh, showing me the sign of snorting cocaine. And when I asked him, why are you saying that? And he said the same exact thing. Pablo Escobar from Narcos. And oh, that's a great show. And, and uh, all you Colombians, you know, they have the good stuff. And, and there it and, is. And so, you know, and this is also another conversation for another podcast where Yes. Television isn't really all about entertainment. It really is shaping uh, and conditioning the way we view people that are in these shows and extract them from fiction into nonfiction, into reality. And uh, yeah, it, listen, man, it, when I was in Colombia, there's still a lot of households that have black maids and they treat them like shit. They're racist against them. That is a fact. Now, not Every single Colombian is like that. I'm sure not every single Ecuadorian is like that, and not every single person in the world is like that. But there is a mass culture that finds it acceptable. Now, again, you underscore my point. So if anybody that grew up in that home, that Colombian home with that black maid that they treated like shit, and they had a teenage daughter, that teenage daughter would treat black people with— exactly with a disrespect. And that's what I'm saying. I'm saying now, you know, again, I don't know where Camila grew up. Did she grow up in this country? No, actually, uh, Camila was born in Havana, Cuba. And that is very interesting because if you're born in America, uh, there is a sense of American sensibilities that you just naturally are born with. But when you're born in Cuba, they say that the Cubans in Cuba are more racist than the Cubans in Miami. Um, her father, though, he's Mexican. He was born in Mexico City, and he moved to Cuba. Uh, and then finally, she was relocated uh, over to uh, to Miami, where she lived there with her mom. So um, th- that says a lot right there about the way she views, well, you know, uh, African-Americans in this country. 
Well, it does, but it also says a lot about, like, you know, if you look at what year she came here, she came here before she was a teenager. Yeah. So she came here in, in those formative years, and whether she was in her community, it says a lot, again, about the disparity between the community, between the black and community. You know, part of why we want to do this show is to bridge that gap, but also we have to acknowledge that that a gap exists because the other thing that I think that this is interestingly enough brings up is, you know, you asked, you know, is apology enough? How do you pay for it? Like, when should you know? Well, here's the thing, you know, look at the director of Guardians of the Galaxy. Now, he was not a teenager when he wrote that stuff, but he wrote that stuff on social media because he thought it was funny. It was provocative. It was all these different things. Now people, when they become successful and they realize they can't walk around being an ignorant ass hmm. now because of social media, that stuff doesn't go right. Away. We're talking about James Gunn who had said years before, uh, some insensitive comments Pardon? as well, but you know, here, here's the thing, ago. Mike, and, and this is the part that I also kind of was looking at when I read the tweets and read the articles and saw the comments. Mike, it's 2019. She said yes. this in 2012. Right. She hasn't said anything like this since those seven years have passed by. So who is she? Well, is she still the girl from 2012 that thinks like that? Or is she a new type of person that understands that her vocabulary and her language at key moments needs to be censored, even in private. Which one is she and which one are we faulting? Because, I, you know, James Gunn had said it before. It's like, listen, I was dumb back then. I didn't know anything any better. Today, I haven't said anything like that. Why can't you judge me for today? Well, you see, but that's an interesting point because I could ask the same thing and it brings into to another conversation here. You know, if an artist does great art, but in some other area, they're a piece of shit. Like they're Woody Harvey Allen. Weinstein, Woody Allen, Harvey Weinstein, Bill Cosby, any number of people who clearly are genius. Alfred Hitchcock clearly is a genius. Mm -hmm. Okay. But it turns out he was a sexist pig. Okay. So, you know, what does that mean then? Now, can you separate the artist from their art? Have they really grown? She's 22. Now she's in the limelight. Okay, young people don't realize that living out loud could catch up to them. But how should we judge people that say things when they're young or when 10, 20 years have passed by? How are we judging that? What is the criteria for judgment? Because look, man, you might have, I don't know, hanging out with your friends one day at a bar. You might have said something that you don't remember, but that friend remembers 20 years ago, and now that you became famous, he now wants to, you know, reminisce about the time that you were a bad boy at the bar 20 years ago. So are you, should you be punished for something you said 20, year ago, 20 years ago in private while you were drunk or whatever it may be, or should you be like given a pass simply because since that moment, no one's ever heard you say anything bad for 20 years? Well, first of all, how did you know about the bad boy at the bar? <laughs> I was just making that up, but hopefully it's not no, real. I, I, no, it's not. It was it. No, but, you know, I mean, I, again, I, I think you're right. I mean, how do you separate the artist from the art? How do you know when someone truly has grown or, or let's put it this way, knows better now? You know, I mean, 
or or are they really still that person? Do they still hold those? I mean, I think those views or the rationale for it, you know, he talks about one of uh, James Gunn talked about wanting to be a f- provocateur. That's why he did what he did. Right, because I feel like he's okay. a in-the-closet uh, stand-up comedian, you know? We've watched entire careers be destroyed from things they said on social media, and they were adults. Right, right. So, now, do you think that uh, this will ruin Camila Cabello's career? She is arguably the biggest pop star after Taylor Swift right now. Well, I think that, similar to Gina Rodriguez... What really matters is what she does uh, in the future. I think that she has made enough. Uh, th- it's you know the 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 intensity of the the. It's not like she just used the n word in a song. Okay, no, no, because no. There's it, a history. There's like a sample there's size. A there's a good sample size there. So we're talking about this is who she she could say, okay, I've grown and I've learned and I'm conscious and I'm aware of the history of the pain that the language carries in this way. Okay, but what does that mean? Does that mean you just don't use it now? Or do you still feel that way? Okay, well, okay. well you're going to judge the person for feeling something that you don't know if they're feeling or not because it's a personal thing in their mind? Or are you judging them for what they're exactly. not saying? Like well, at some point, you got to give somebody a break, man. You have to take it into context. You have to take it into the context and you have to look at, you know, okay, how big is the sample size? How long, what was the last thing, stu- stupid thing you did? Okay, you're, you're doing it milder now by saying this, but you used to do it more extreme before you were famous. What does that mean? What do you think about the apology itself? Was that sufficient for you? Um, You know, let's put it this way. Because there's uh, a lot of judgment, ah, uh, you know, but that apology, th- th- that was weak. You know, she should be more meaningful and more genuine and more authentic. She should cry a little bit more. Oh, yeah, she cried. Those are fake well, tears. It, it's mean, like, it's it's like if you do the bad and you want to correct it and make up for it and you apologize, now everybody's judging the apology. Well, I was going to say, everybody's going to judge the apology, but here's the other thing about an apology. She said a lot of things in her apology that are mental. Okay, mm-hmm. that 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 you know she intellectually understands what she's done. If she does something to show uh, her understanding uh, or to to acknowledge what young women of color are going through, whatever she could do, she's a lot she could do. Yeah, she has a great change. platform to be able to do that. She's a lot she could do. She could control this narrative. And it could be to her advantage. You know, it's interesting. I think what shocked me more than anything when I first read the uh, article on BuzzFeed was that it wasn't a white person that said it. That it was... That doesn't shock me at all. Part of my own people, man. People that I support, that I respect, and that other musicians and fellow artists respect as well. And, and there's a lot of darkness, man, and there's a lot of private stuff that a lot of people don't know about every single person. And, and it's unfortunate because she's going through such a rise and I don't know if people are going to like second doubt her, be skeptical about her moving forward or be fully convinced of the type of person that they're supporting and rooting for. Uh, if if she was a stock, she would have plummeted at least. Yes, she's definitely going to lose fans. She's definitely going to be um, more under the microscope, like you said. She's definitely going to have to come out of this. She's going to have to come back from this. She's going to have to. But, you know, this could be a good thing. 
Because you said something else earlier that I think is important. Accountability, okay? Accountability is not just apologizing. Accountability is actually engaging in something to change this. So right. why did she, if she really looks deep why she did it, you can't just say, oh, I was young and ignorant, okay? Uneducated and ignorant? I don't think so. I don't think you were that uneducated. Perhaps you were not educated in, in you know, w- what should be socially acceptable, but, but should be is the active word. What you said was socially acceptable to all your friends and all the people you were act- interacting with. Right. It's not like these were private journal entries. That's a these really good things- point, man. That's a really good point because I think as soon as you go onto Tumblr or, or any social yes. media platform, yes. that is now public. That's yes. now public. That is to the masses. When you're talking to two of your friends from junior high yep. and you're yep. talking like that, th- th- that, that's just between the three of you. And it's that's acceptable right. between the three of you. Exactly. Um, but it's not meant to be shared publicly because we know the consequences behind that. Well, yes and no. You, I mean, you, if, if, you're, if you're saying when you're young, you may not know the consequences. But the point I'm making is that, yeah, she, her reference group at that point in time, okay, uh, you know, maybe most of them aren't famous, okay? Uh, she was a pretty girl. So pretty girls are always going to have followers, whether they ever do anything with their lives or not. But the point being is, you know, the culture, and I don't just mean Cuban culture, the culture from which this has sprung, that's the problem. Right. You know, the problem is that that it is acceptable, that it is okay, that in, in six, seven years ago, she's sending out racist memes, and she's a Latina. Yeah, man, that, that was Period. so surprising, Period. man. Just I was that like between Gina Rodriguez being Puerto Rican and uh, Camila Cabello being Cuban. I mean, and I, 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 I don't want to be the new villains for the African-American community, but damn it, man, we're starting. I mean, these are two big female artists that are really making us look bad. Well, I, 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 yeah. Well, I hear where you're coming from, and 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 I feel the same way. You know, you were saying before, like, is anybody immune from, let's say, the disease of racism? No. So, so, so the question is, and, and as I said at the beginning of the podcast, is Camila Cabello a racist? I have to say, after everything we've had in this, because I didn't know at the beginning of the conversation, I would say that she probably was. Is she over it? I don't know. I don't know, but she obviously was, or there wouldn't have been this beef between her and the other girl. Oh, yeah. Well, it's going to be an interesting 2020 for Camila Cabello. I like her music, but Mm. man, I don't know about her uh, own moral values uh, right now. Yeah, but this is probably a good thing to happen to her because, like you said, now she's got to be accountable. Oh, man. Well, Mike, uh, by the way, this is our last podcast of the year. There's some big news coming up in 2020. Uh, yeah, won't big Jack share, and Mike news. Well, yeah, won't share just yet, but definitely there's something on the horizon uh, between you and I, and uh, can't wait to share it with everybody else in the next uh, coming week. So, with that said, Mike and I, first reaction Star Wars Rise of the Skywalker up next. And before we give you our first reaction of Rise of the Skywalker, here are three land tracks you might want to add to your playlist this holiday weekend. 
esta Navidad. Malu Trevejo. Jingle Bell Rock, Matiz. Te regalo, Sebastián Yatra. We are here at the SVA Theater in Manhattan, New York, where we have just left Star Wars, Rise of the Skywalker, and I'm here joined with who else? Mike, Mike Sargent. Sargent. Jack Rico. Mike, um, as everybody's leaving the theater at this very second, and we're recording this for the podcast, um, I, I'm a little stunned from what I experienced from Rise of the Skywalker, and I think it's the very first time that I have felt lukewarm about this series. Well, here's what I think. I think, first of all, it is a little overwhelming, and it is something definitely that you have to process to an extent. Uh, they jammed everything they possibly could jam into this movie. Uh, every cameo, every nod, every uh, homage that you could imagine, <laughs> literally recreations of scenes and plot points that you've seen in other Star Wars things. But I think at the same time, I think Star Wars... And perhaps why you're lukewarm, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, I think Star Wars suffers from the same thing James Bond does. On the one hand, you go in expecting a certain formula, something to feel like a Star Wars movie. Yes. But on the other hand, because the formula has been around for so long, and in this case, 40 years now, along with TV shows and animated series and all that kind of stuff... There's always a feeling of, okay, I've seen this before. Okay, all right, yeah. Okay, well, that happens, of course. So it starts to feel rote or cliche exactly. or, you know, same old, same old. It felt synthetic to me. It felt run-of-the-mill Hollywood factory spun in a machine through data and focus groups and... It just felt plastic to me. It was the first time I was completely detached from the Star Wars saga. And you might say, but wait a minute, what about the George Lucas ones? I mean, they were terrible. It's like, yeah, but they were George's, they were Lucas's. It was his. So you you gave him that evolution, whether he was like mentally not getting what he was originally supposed to do. It's on him. He was the creator. But this is J.J. Abrams. This is Disney making sure that there is a factory that's spurting out oil every single year worth $1 billion. And they, I, I, I just felt like every moment was planned for business and profit, not for the fans. Well, all right. I would. I, I think that you've become a tad cynical in your old age. But, <laughs> but here's what I think. I think I, I can only halfway agree with that. I think that on the one hand, the one thing they do to do is, you know, there's a lot of fan nods in here. But to the point where, you know, and I've seen this criticism from others who have been allowed to even, you know, tweet about it. The criticism that it, there are so many fan nods that 
it almost, you're saying it's artificial, it almost slows down the plot, but there's a moment that's there for you to smile and go, oh, look, oh, remember this scene? Remember they did this in episode whatever, whatever. Oh, look, he said the same line that so-and-so said. And so there are a lot of those things in there. Without Yeah, there's a bunch of uh, uh, eggs, eggs there eggs. for everybody to kind of like sink their teeth into. I just felt like... I think the best but way But it didn't you, move you, yeah. That, that it, was, it wasn't the Star Wars movies that I grew up with. It, it lacked soul, man. It lacked soul. I feel it's a lot to process because on one level, it is satisfying. Like, all the questions are answered. You get to see everything you'd really want. Everything you think you would ever really want to see in a Star Wars movie, it's in there. But it's also in there with a lot of things. And I heard you mentioning someone. There's just some, some things that they almost, they're kind of corny. So they're so corny, and I don't want to give it away because you know what I'm talking about, that it seems out of character. Because this character, though it's nice, but this character wouldn't do that. You know? No, that's right. That's you right. Know? And I don't want to give away any more because it'll give away plot points. But that sense you're saying of artificial, that, that process, like, okay, data, yes, you have to give the fans what they want because the last Star Wars movie did not give everybody what they wanted. And they were trying to be different, you know, the last Star Wars movie. They were trying to take it somewhere that they hadn't been before. But at the same time, if it's too formulaic, you have a bomb like Han Solo. So they have to find a way to in some way engage and satisfy and still feel like a Star Wars movie. And I think that's a tall order. Well, this th this film in particular was a farewell tour. Absolutely. It was Absolutely. a farewell tour Absolutely. where everybody got to go on stage and say their goodbyes. Yeah, Every, Even sets got to come back in this I, movie. Like jets. sets, old sets. Old sets, From jets, other movies, yeah. From the like, first Star Wars. Exactly I mean, like, they went we through revisit the, old We sets. revisit the, 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 the 70s, 80s, you know. <laughs> exactly. Obviously. And for that nostalgia, that's why you come to watch these movies. For those great memories. I, I agree with you. But in this particular film, mm. I have to ask, and you know, it begs the question, who's really in charge? Is it the artist, the director, with a vision, and an authentic vision, or is Disney in charge? Uh, well, you know, here's the thing. Like, is it in, art or business I think, on these particular movies? I think it is show business. I think it is exactly that. I think, you know, it's called show business for a reason because, yes, they have to produce, like you said, they have to put up enough oil to keep the machine going. So you've got to satisfy, like, I think a lot of people were split on the last film, quite honestly. And then they also had a, 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 a Star Wars bomb, the first Star Wars bomb. You know, so Yeah, the Han Solo, because... And it made money, but it really, there's never been a Star Wars movie. As much as people hated episode one, it still made a ton of money. You know what I mean? People didn't like the, the, the second trilogy. It still made a ton of money. So to make a Star Wars film that one, fans are divided on, and then two, have a, you know, one two punch, and then another one, all this planned shit, they had to stop after Solo didn't work. I think they had to go, I think they felt they had to play it safe. That's what this movie That's what I felt think. like. That there was a safeness about this film. Right. Where they, were, they didn't they push any chance. So overall for you, where would you rank this film? And what do you think people are going to feel about this film? The, the, the people that are going to watch I think people are going to love it. 
I think critics will uh, be critical, but I think people will love it. I think it'll make more money than any other Star Wars movie. Why? Why? Because I think it gives the fans what they want. And I think it, it, that is really what it comes down to. You know, you look at films, okay, this movie, Richard Jewell, just came out. Every critic I know said it was great on their top ten list. People stayed away in droves. Why? I think that, that what the population wants and what uh, the critics, critics want or the critics are like. two, or critics like, I think, are, are two different things. And I think that that is becoming much that, more evident and clear. I, more evident and clear. Delineation is really right. starting you, how, to now You look show at Rotten scars. Tomatoes, right? You look at Rotten Tomatoes, you see all these films with low critic scores, but they got high uh, audience scores. I think that that divide is getting deeper. Well, uh, from uh, the School of Visual Arts. Yes, theater. Theater, uh, which is a strange place to kind of do the Star, Star Wars, Wars Rise of the Skywalker. Yeah, I would, well, from yeah. here, uh, Mike Sargent, Jack Rico, we say adieu. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.